Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to another conversation in practical theology with me, Sayyidah Zaidi, and Eric Stoddard. Today, we're going to be looking and discussing spirituality and religion. How do they relate to each other? Are they the same thing? Can you be religious without spirituality? Can you experience spirituality without religion? I know that there's going to be a lot to cover within this conversation. So we'll try and kind of discuss as many topics as we can, and we can always come back to it another time. So let me kind of um, kick off by asking, um, Eric, do you think spirituality and religion are the same thing? No, I, I think there's quite a difference between religion and spirituality. And I, I, I take it really that religion is attached to institutions and organisations. So we have Christian religion, we have Muslim religion, Hindu religion, and in some way or other, to a greater or lesser extent, there are institutions involved in that. Whereas spirituality is much, much more all-encompassing. So the, our approach to life, our sense of wonder, of the other transcendence, however someone wants to practice that or think about that or engage in some way, there's no need for that spirituality to be attached to institutions and organisations. And it may be very new tradition or it may be old tradition. So I think you can be spiritual without being religious and you could probably be religious without being spiritual, but that's that. that let's come back to that. Yeah. It's interesting because because for me, I wouldn't say that I am attached to a particular institution, as in a particular mosque. I mean, we've spoken before about how there's particular mosque that I like going to, um, and I think uh, Muslims we have a direct relationship with God that we don't have to go through any kind of imam or scholar or anything like that and so for me the, the connection with religion and spirituality comes through my daily practice which is the five prayers a day and the fasting and how I eat and all of those other kind of rituals that I do so I suppose because I was going to say actually my spirituality isn't connected to institutions and it's not but I think that it's probably connected to rituals and to the day-to-day -day practice of my faith so for me it's faith in action and and it's, it's kind of a regular reminder of why I've chosen and selected this particular path because you know as adults we can choose any path right but yeah but um, maybe I've too tightly defined institution um because I think as you're talking about ritual and fasting and tradition, those are to some extent institutionalized. They're coming from a social system, uh, a broad cultural network, um, scriptures, all of those. And in that sense, there is an institutional, there's an organizational element in some way to do with those formal rituals have developed over time. So it, it's not just a building or a financial organization. When I say institution, I sort of mean that big social structure or systems. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's, it's um, 
for me, it, it, it's about having the rules. So for me, the rules come from the Quran and the Sunnah, and the Sunnah is the documented way in which the Prophet Muhammad, um, peace and blessings upon him and his companions, kind of lived their life. And so even yesterday, my mom and myself were having quite a heated debate about a couple of things. And I said, look, I, I know nothing about this. And until I learn more, I'm, I cannot comment on it. I'm not going to be drawn into a conversation where I don't have the knowledge. And um, it just made me realize that, uh, that, that one of the things that, that we are taught is that, you know, you don't follow the faith of your fathers. And by that, it means that just because somebody else kind of does a particular ritual or follows a particular path or way, you're not going to, I'm not going to be able to stand up on judgment day in front of God and say, Oh, I did that because my dad did it or because that other person did it. I've got to work it out for myself. And so as, as a result of that, I think you're, you're right that there are, there's ritualistic practice and there's things that have become ingrained because other people do it. But then I would, I, I actually, I'm a firm, I'm 100% confident in this. I'm not praying because anyone else has told me to. I'm not fasting because anyone else has told me to. I'm doing those acts because I believe that they are part of my daily worship to God, and that's how I should worship God. But And if I didn't do those things, I think my relationship with God might be less. But is that spirituality or is that religion? I'm, I'm kind of like, but now I'm at a loss when I'm trying to really unpack it. I, I would not want to imply anything automatically negative about religion. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot we can criticise about religion and the way that we're using the term here. But the fact that you pray five times a day rather than six or four yeah. suggests that there's a, there is an institutional dimension to that that it's not an arbitrary number yeah um, it's i mean it's a number that was given to god um when he was kind of like you know journeying up to well actually it was a direct instruction from god to the prophet behind peace and blessings upon him and that's why it's five and i think if when i look at me without going into too much detail the number used to be a lot greater and then um he was like Moses advised God on his journey up to the heavens to ask for the number to be reduced and that's why we've ended up with five so five when I say five it's kind of like five times I sit down on a prayer mat and I have a direct conversation with God that doesn't mean that when I'm sitting making my cup of coffee or before we have this conversation I won't kind of say okay God you've got to help me out on this one or ask for some guidance or some assistance so and would it would could one go as because I I really believe that 24 hours a day can be in worship and for me how that happens is by following the prophetic tradition so when I go to sleep I will go to sleep when I remember of course I'll go to sleep in the particular ways that the prophet advised us to you know I will eat my food by saying a prayer I, when I begin my work, I'll begin by saying a prayer and asking for assistance. Because then all of those little acts then can make my entire day an act of worship. And I think by using those moments to reconnect with God, I think I am a more spiritual person because I'm much more conscious of how am I 
um, connecting with my creator if I just did them as a checklist things that I have to tick off the box I mean you know anyone can do that but it doesn't really improve your experience or your quality of life and that's that for me is when then practical theology just is completely out the window because it's more about the ritualistic practice without any of that experience does that make sense yeah I, I think that's that's maybe a third category with religion ritualism and spirituality because that ritualism where someone is simply doing something as a checklist mm. i'm not even sure if that's an entirely bad thing um because there's a luxury maybe in having the time and having the capacity and the interest to consider something in depth but maybe the doing something just because that's what you do if it's going to mass if it's praying five times a day if it's doing x y or z the doing it because that's what one does is is that is that ritualistic it might be just doing it because it's ritual but it might be because that's all that someone's got to hang on to and that the deeper questions about it are just too difficult and too painful maybe to explore mm. so what looks like ritualistic behaviour could actually be profound worship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting because I think we spend a lot of time trying to unpack who we are and then looking at somebody else and making an assessment by them. But actually what we should really be doing is spending all of that time trying to work out who we are and not even considering what others are doing because others, whilst they may not be... Um, ritualistic in their practice they may not go to church or the mosque or the synagogue whatever but they may not even have a faith but they could be better people than us and i'm thinking back to my own christian past when i was in a very different type of christian community which valued the sort of thing we're talking about being very intentional about what you do and being very methodical and having a disciplined form of spirituality that was also quite intense and had a lot of sort of emotion within it. And that tradition tended to look down on those other Christian traditions that did things out of repetition or repeated the same um, crossing oneself or uh, having a more sort of fixed type of um, style of worship mm. and that was always assumed to be ritualistic mm. and I confess that that's how I used to think you know 30 years ago but then as I moved into a different type of Christianity that was what I would have before seen as very ritualistic I struggled because initially I thought people are just doing this but actually the difference was they weren't wearing their spirituality on their sleeve that was the difference. They were using all these methods to differing extents, but they weren't projecting the spirituality in the way that I had been expected to do mm. in my earlier form of Christianity. So I made a big shift to realize a lot of the criticisms I'd made of other Christians was completely misplaced. 
because theirs was, yes, it was more ritualistic than mine, but yet it was probably more meaningful and more authentic. But then in my more spontaneous sort of thing, it was actually ritualistic in its own way. So it's very difficult to, to just go on what we see and maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, for example, when I pray and praying just to get it done and praying and really kind of like having what I call that conversation with God and connecting. And, I mean, I, my standards are crazy high. So that moment of connection when I can really feel like I have that, had that conversation and got some guidance, those things, they happen very few and far between. And I've tried everything. Right, you name it, I've tried it in order to bring that on, and the, and that kind of um, act of connection is in Islam is called something called khushur, and it means and it's kind of like it's got its own way of how you can develop it. Now, you, I know, I, I suspect I'm not doing it properly, but one I can try and do as much as I can to obtain that connection, and when you have the khushur in your prayer then um, you get more reward. So there's like degrees of reward that you will get. But of course, the entry to the reward is actually doing the act itself. And I think for me, kind of like remembering that I've got to pray and making sure that I do it is sometimes it is challenging because life can get in the way. Um, and other times when I've adopted what might work what one might call kind of um, modern day um, acts of spirituality, like meditation and mindfulness and things, then yes, of course, it does help me focus more. But I think that um, meditation and mindfulness and all of these other things, they've become kind of framed as modern day because all of a sudden these things are in the West. But actually, if we look over to the East, then clearly that's where they come from. And there have been methods of kind of meditation and retreating and just kind of um, um, spending time reflecting. They have always been present within um, Islam, in the, the history of the, the Middle East, etc. So that I think they've been there within the Abrahamic tradition. I just think that some, that they've got lost. I, I think you're right. And, and, Certainly in Christianity, that sort of traditions of meditation and uh, have come and gone over history. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of development of the whole monastic tradition coming out from the desert in the early years of Christianity, desert worship, and then how that was developed later into monasticism. And then things, it's maybe too simple a story, but things become... Um, formalized and then there are recoveries in different groups like the Methodists in the, in in England in the 18th um, century discovering a new vibrancy and then just there seems to be that within Christianity at least the sort of little explosions every now and again of this sort of intensity and rediscovery feeling that it's new but actually 
building on on ancient uh, discoveries. Yeah, and I th I think um, we're we're probably like in in the West when we look at things like you know m mindfulness and meditation, and I I know that they are two completely different things. We we look at these as a quick fix to help us to connect even more with God. And to me, it doesn't really matter what the tool is as long as the connection and the experience is greater. See, I think the quick fix thing is really key to what you've analysed because that's a scientific, technological way of thinking that here we can use this technique, we can use this tool in order to achieve a certain purpose. And that's great if it's engineering, but maybe not so great when it's about relationship with God, when it's about relationship with other people. But it that maybe accounts for some of the, the sort of dissipation of spirituality in depth, where it's turned into simply a technique or a quick fix. But the older traditions, they, maybe they suffered from that a little bit, but I, I don't get that sense. They maybe appreciated the long haul. Mm. And, and maybe that's why the concept of religion is um, seen as, if, if you identify as a religious person, you're seen as an anomaly or mm -hmm. you're seen as something strange, whereas once you start talking about spirituality, all of a sudden it just becomes much more accepted. And I think that's because now, as the pace of life is, and as we have the technology which has just taken over, et cetera, et cetera, we have less time to go back to what it is to be human. And so there is that desire for these quick fixes to try and find a solution to a problem which is probably much deeper. And everyone's got their own problem that's what i'm trying i suppose what i'm trying to say and it's like until you really take time to reflect on what that is yes you can use the quick fixes to deal with superficial issues but they won't necessarily give you the depth of the even the depth of the spirituality that you're looking for because certainly from my experience i know very few people who meditate on a daily basis regardless of what their religious affiliation is but the few people that i do know some of them do it just so that they can get through the day. And I don't think that that's a solution either. No, and I, I'm just thinking about, you know, I'm up here in Scotland and I'm thinking about this whole thing about technology and quick fix and getting through the day and having the time to reflect. And I thought, I'm so glad that I live in 2018 and not in 1718 or 1818 in Scotland, because so much of my time certainly would have likely been taken up just surviving by planting stuff around the, the, the croft and trying to maintain the bare minimum of daily life, because life was so harsh and for the vast majority of people. But yet, spirituality would have been intertwined with that harshness of life mm. and I'm very grateful for the technology that mm. gives me a much easier life mm. but yet at the same time that technological mind frame 
that infiltrates spirituality is I, I've lost something that maybe I'm looking back on my ancestors with rose-tinted glasses, I don't know, but there's something, their connection with each other, their connection with nature seems to be a lot, lot stronger. But if you're having to live from hand to mouth in subsistence farming in Scotland in the 18th century, I don't want to be doing that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because it's, it's like a conscious choice that we think that we can make. But today, if you were, if you decided, or if one decided to give up everything and go and live on a cross, you could do it. And actually, you'd probably be seen as being quite middle class in making that decision. But life would be very different and perhaps much more challenging, but you could do it. And I'm reading some really interesting um, books. I mean, one of the, the books that I think is kind of like transformational is... Um, uh, Lost Connections by Johan Hari and I was very reluctant to read it but I just kept seeing message after message and so I thought let me just pick it up from the library and within the first three pages I thought this is a book that I think everybody should read and part of the reason for that is because he talks about um, it's, it's to do with issue why, why there's uh, all of a sudden a surge in anxiety and depression and, and where do these things come from? And the, in the impression I'm getting is that there are clearly a number of different sources, but one of the, the sources that we're faced today is loneliness. And loneliness has never really been thought of something as um, a cause of anxiety or depression. But also, it, it raises interesting questions in terms of you can be sitting in a coffee shop working surrounded by 50 other people. Are you still lonely? Well, of course. And I think the answer for me to that question can come within um, the discussions around, you know, are you spiritual? Are, do you have a religion? How are you connecting with your creator and with, with other people, etc.? But sometimes even that isn't the answer. So if you do take yourself off to that crop or the farm or, or whatever it is that you decide to do, will that, will that give one the thing that they're yearning for? It may and it may not. Yeah, yeah I, there's an amazing painting in, I think it's the National Gallery in Scotland, of a quayside in the early 19th century. And it's a family of elderly people. There's an old man in a kilt. He's sitting on a horse. And there's a, other elderly members of the family are gathered around him on this little quayside. And in the distance, on the horizon, you can see a small boat. And it's sailing away. And this was all about the Highland Clearances. And it was about the elderly people having to remain in Scotland because they couldn't cope with the journey to the new world. And that was them saying goodbye to their next generations, their children, their grandchildren, and the loneliness and the just desolation on those faces. And I think there's something about loneliness has been there all through history. And maybe, yeah, it is, it, it, it's a spiritual issue in the sense that how someone handles it mm. is going to be a spiritual it's not solution, but method of coping. Whether they turn to faith, whether they turn to companionship, whether they lose themselves in nature or work or whatever, that long tradition that we've had of loneliness 
seems spirituality and religion are very much maybe tied up with that. Mm. And I'm and I'm wondering if modern day spirituality is being used as a, a tool or tools or package to somehow respond to that increasing loneliness that people are feeling because no one's really talking about it and that's the thing that I find so fascinating because to some degree everyone experiences loneliness and yet it's something that's nowhere in the media it's something that that just seems to be a massive elephant not just in the room but in the world (laughs) and I think that when we start speaking about this maybe that maybe there could be a reduction in things like you know suicide numbers and you know addictions to um, substances and to crime and to other things because the minute that you start having a conversation with somebody and you form a connection then that kind of loneliness alienation whatever it is that's going on inside your head it reduces and sometimes that can happen through a conversation with god but those conversations are helpful but at the end of the day we're on earth so we can have human connection and if if we don't have those human conversations then i think it's it's taking that discussion that we might have with god and just kind of like putting it somewhere where it's just completely unattainable and it's not that real and perhaps that's the reason why when we worship we worship in congregation because that that communal aspect of things is quite important yeah i think the communal dimension and and just when you see people walking around the street now with their heads buried in their mobile phone it's easy to sniff and sneer at that but actually for many people perhaps it is it's a it's a way of dealing with loneliness if you're a traveler if you're a student who's on the other side of the world you want to be connected to those that you know you want to be connected with friends with casual acquaintances and it's it's not some sort of way of avoiding loneliness but it's actually just being human but then the other side of that is you know i was just at the fireworks at the end of the edinburgh festival uh on monday night and the number of people for at least the first piece when the fireworks were going they were watching it through the mobile phone yeah yeah yeah. and there was a guy just in front of our group who spent most of the evening watching the fireworks through his ipad Mm. and i thought why did you even bother paying 16 quid to come here you'll get far better video online afterwards but so i suppose what i'm saying is the mixed benefits of the technology and spirituality and loneliness it's never straightforward yeah absolutely and i and i think that um it's interesting you know what you've highlighted about how we experience things through technology and i wonder if the experience of religion is is becoming a, a more connected experience because of technology because now if you have a question you can just you know go online and find the answer within an instant 
But then the downside of that actually is that you don't spend that time mulling it over in your mind and thinking, well, why am I asking? Because we just live in this kind of instant gratification. And spirituality is not going to serve that. And I think, I I suspect religion is not going to take too kindly to it either. So we have some interesting things to unpack there. But then I'm grateful for technology because if it wasn't for technology, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. And I think that certainly I'm sitting in a room by myself at home and one might think that that's quite a lonely experience. But it's not because as soon as I open my laptop and I invite you into my home, we have a connection and a conversation. And that can sometimes be the most powerful thing that happens all day. And I think the instant gratification is one of the main maybe problems. Mm. Um, Because if we're looking for technology to give us an instant gratification or religion, then we're trying to short circuit something that seems to be part of what it means to be human that doesn't get instant gratification. It's not an instant immediate solution. It's something that's hard worked at. I would love the idea that I could shove a loudspeaker under my pillow at night that's someone speaking some great highly technical book and then I would listen to it during the night while I'm asleep and I'd wake up and I'd understand it all in the morning. (laughs) It would be fantastic. But at least for the next probably 50, 100 years, that's not going to be the case Mm. and probably a good thing Mm. because getting to learn and understand something through really wrestling with it, that's the point. Absolutely. And for me, that's, that's where spirituality and religion are, I think. And, and I mean, one of the things that prompted me for wanting to have this conversation is that within, um, positive psychology there are very clear distinct definitions for spirituality and religion and I kind of sit on the fence because I think it's it's very it's easy to have clear distinctions but sometimes it's to do with how the individual actually even interprets those words and so 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 coming back to to what you said it's for me it's all about how we continue these conversations and continue to kind of expand our understanding of what it is that why we are on this planet and how we can improve our experience of life as religious people and to me that's everything that practical theology is about yeah and i wonder if institutions like church like mosque like synagogue or whatever are actually providing us with frameworks that slow us down, that remind us that we can't get instant gratification, that spirituality is not a technology, and that religion is a way of saying, actually, hang on, you need to work at this. This is not an instant fix. There's not a technological, in that broad Mm -hmm. sense of the word, solution, that we have to wrestle with these things. We have to be connected and maybe that's where in my sort of framework of religion and spirituality that's where religion sort of fits in it it's a reminder it's a framework it's a a traditioning making that tradition contemporary 
of here's people who have wrestled with these things in different ways. What what can we learn from them? And so it's about history mm. and history yeah. within practical theology. It's not something that we've tended to do a lot of, um, but maybe there's a place to get more of a historical take on something mm. when we think practical theology about how society is affecting us and we're affecting society. And just that putting a break on what we expect. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a few PhDs that could come out of just what you've just said there. But um, I think with that, it's a kind of, it's a good time for us to, to draw this conversation to a close because there is just so much that we could unpack. And I, I think there are a couple of subjects that I certainly would love to come back to in the future, certainly um, loneliness and then also just something around quick fixes because I think there's some interesting conversations to be had there. Um, Eric, thank you so much for such an engaging discussion again. And to the audience, thank you for watching. And if you have any questions or if you'd like to go back to watch any of the previous episodes uh, or would like to connect with us, uh, all of our details are below. And we hope to see you in another conversation very, very soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.